You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Click the record button. Oh, you shall have to wait till I do. Well, that's just not good, Kevin. I shall have. I shall have clicked it. Oh, you've clicked it? (laughs) Yes. Fantastic, and welcome to Geeky Show Ever, episode 100. Kevin, we finally made it. We're into triple figures, and I'm not just talking about our weight. We've actually made it to episode 100 of uh, Geeky Show Ever. How have you been? Uh, been stoked, been ready to talk, been trying to think of what we can do special for the listeners and hoping they'll keep listening. But I am excited. This is quite the milestone. I think uh, you and I, this is actually our, like, not quite 50th episode, 40-something we've done together, so... A lot of episodes, a lot of good laughs, a lot of good times. Let's put it this way, I've done 40-something episodes. You have this thing about getting sick and not showing up, so, you know... (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I I did have that moment, and then, of course, I'm going away on holidays in a couple of weeks' time, and you'll be uh, doing the show, hopefully, with Mike, or maybe someone else, just... Maybe you'll do a solo show. Um, either way, it'll be fun. Does that mean... Do you sing solo? Sing solo? Oh, solo me. Oh, oh my so- God. Jeez. Oh. oh, the cat going down the blackboard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, oh, I, I, I practiced all day for that. I, I got I to tell you, I, I don't know if we'll have any listeners left if you sin. Uh <laughs> Now, uh, I didn't talk about the Han Solo and their holo, so that's okay. <laughs> we didn't have to go there. Poor Han. Um, <laughs> now, you supposedly had a little birdie tell you something about me somewhere in the last week, and I don't know what it is. And listeners, it is driving me absolutely insane. I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't know if it's shocking or revealing. I don't know, but Kevin knows something about me that I don't know if I want him to know. I don't know if he's been I, stalking me on Facebook or what. Oh, hell no. You don't have to worry about that shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to talk about that just yet. I, I want to make you wait a little longer. Oh, no, don't make me stew. Oh. Uh, uh, well, you, you, yeah, stewing, that could bring up smells that nobody wants. But anyway, you're going to stew for a little bit. <laughs> uh, I'll give you, I wanted to give the listeners, first of all, I wanted to give them, uh, give you some, uh, Quick feedback. I mentioned last week that I was working on an old Dell laptop that mm-hmm. I had here that I was trying to uh, install uh, a version of Linux on. I've been stymied to this point in getting a version to completely install. Got tons of them to boot. I haven't given up yet, but I'm going to expand my project. Not only am I going to get a version of Linux on this laptop, I'm going to take my older MacBook Air which is already boot camped. So it's got a Windows 7 partition, and it's got an OS X uh, Lion partition on it. But inside of the Windows partition, I'm going to whoopie it. Do you know what whoopie is? No. What, what, what's a uh, You know, I, I think I might regret asking, because it sounds like a dirty word. What's a whoopie? Oh, dear God, I thought of a good one, but I'm not... <laughs> Wubi is the Windows installer for Ubuntu. It puts, it lets you install a window or Linux, Ubuntu Linux, 
alongside with and within your Windows setup. Mm-hmm. You just run it, it installs it, and it sets up a dual boot system. So, and and then when you want to remove it, you just go into Windows and say uninstall. It's gone. Hmm. So it's it's a great way. It was originally introduced. Um, there's a link on Wikipedia. It was originally introduced to help you know get people familiar with Linux on the desktop and and to do that. So what I but what I think is cool and the reason I decided to do this is that will then make my MacBook Air triple boot because I can boot into OS X Lion or I can switch over and boot into Windows and then when the Windows partition starts to boot it'll give me a second choice and I can choose Linux or Windows 7. So I will have triple boot on a 2008 MacBook Air and you talk about squeezing life out of your equipment. Absolutely. And, and you know what Adele can't do? That cannot. No, Adele can't do that. I don't know Adele. Is she a nice girl? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> she wasn't bad back in the day, Kevin. Uh, she didn't have very good taste if she went out with you. Anyway, the... <laughs> But so that that's it. And and follow on to that, you were talking about your old PowerBook G4, right? Yes. There is a version of Linux, uh, Zubuntu, X-U-B-U-N-T-U, that will work. I saw it. It's set up for the PowerPC, so it will boot on your machine. And Zubuntu has a interface. It's a lightweight interface that's very similar in a lot of ways, to the way OS X itself runs. It has the menu bar across the top, something that looks similar to a dock on the bottom to launch applications. So I think it would be the perfect thing for you to put on your old MacBook G4, or your PowerBook G4, excuse me. Sounds interesting. You know what, Kevin? I actually did some tweaking with that old PowerBook. And funny thing, Gretel decided that she'd uh, get cave in and uh, get me a new MacBook Pro. She actually said, which one do you want? And she sent me a little screenshot. So she said, which one do you want? You know, did you want the more expensive or the lesser one? And of course, I want to customize it. So I said nothing. I said, no, don't, don't want one just now. Plus, I, I absolutely love my iMac. But the other reason why I've given up on getting the Retina 13-inch MacBook Pro, which everyone right now, they're calling me a flippin' idiot, and that's the nice way of putting it. But the reason why is because the old PowerBook, I put 10.4Fox on. It's a it's a web browser that's based on Mozilla's backend. And what it does is it brings your old G4, G3 systems up to date so that they're secure and you can actually get stuff done and get work produced. So I can actually, I've tested it this week, and I actually meant to record this show on the old laptop just to make sure I could do it, but we might do next week's show on the old laptop. And it looks like I'm going to be actually able to upload everything to my website perfectly as if I was in front of my own iMac. And this is on the 2005 uh, PowerBook. So... Nice. That That's, as you said, stretching life out of an old system. You know, if I can... Just use that for this holiday, and then depending where the next version of the Mac OS goes, and then, you know, looking for a proper replacement for my iMac, then I don't need to cut corners just now. I can sort of hold out a bit longer, 
with the gear I've got and just sort of go from there. So that's uh, Ten Fox Four, pretty cool web browser. I've never heard of that. Yeah, you know, it's I don't know if they support the um, Intel based Macs, but certainly they they support all the G fives, G fours, G threes, and and backwards. Uh, even if you run an OS nine uh, on some of the old gear, you can still get updated builds of it. It's um, it's pretty nice. It's nice and sleek, nice and fast. Uh, I didn't, you know, for an older machine with single core processor, one point five uh, gigabytes of RAM, one point five gigahertz processor, you'd think that you'd be pulling out your your hair trying to get it to actually do something constructive. But it worked pretty well. I um, actually, in, in fact, uh, this week's episode of Not Another Mac podcast that I'll release uh, shortly after this show was uploaded exclusively. The, the entire thing, all the show notes, all the links, and the audio file was uploaded directly from the laptop. Um, oh, very using nice. Using that browser so that I could see, hey, if I take this laptop with me, can I actually get work done? And the, the short answer is, yeah, I can. And if I look at it, I spend two grand on a new laptop, or do I just take something I've got? I'm happy to take something I've got. That's why I said to Gretel, no, look, don't worry about it. And uh, who knows, maybe I'll be able to sprint for the 15-inch Retina MacBook Pro. <laughs> ah. Well, look, well, I, I honestly don't know what I want, Kevin, to be quite honest. And, and look, I'm still in love with my late 2009 iMac. It does everything for me. It's just a workhorse. It records our shows, it edits them. You know, it allows me to write and produce content online. It's just really good. Yeah, it's a little slow and gets sluggish and stuff like that, but I don't care. I love it, and it does the job. So, Do do you love it as much as you love me? I love it more than I love you, Kevin. Thank God for small favors. (laughs) Oh, listen, I have the bullet dodged. (laughs) My heart just started beating again. (laughs) But see, Kevin... See, Kevin, you're within my little iMac. So, see, I love my iMac and I love Kevin. Get your lips off the screen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Well, you know, my oldest, the oldest Mac I have is the 2007 Mac Mini that I have, 2008 MacBook Air, and then I jump up to the 2011 iMac that I use, and um. I really think that um, I wonder if, or I think I was like, gotta keep my brain's dysfunctional. I wonder if that would work on my uh, uh, Mac Classic that I have at the office that's running System Seven Point Five. Wow, I, I don't know if it goes back <laughs> quite that far. I, I know that it goes back a fair way, um, but I'm not sure if it goes back that far. I'm actually just having a quick look up now to see if I can see how far back it actually goes. And listeners, we will put, I should say we, Mark will put links to all this stuff in the show notes. I will, so you- I will. And you know what, the good thing is the last stable release was released February 16, uh, 2013, so 17 days ago. Um, and so it's constantly been updated. Um, you know, it's really, really working uh, quite well. So I, I can't fault that. If you've got an older Mac and you need it to run something, um, definitely go down that, that path. 10.4 Fox, uh, really good. It looks like it can go to 8.6, OS 8.6. 
but not to 7.1, unfortunately, which is a shame because then I'd get out the old LC575, boot it up, put it on there and see what I can do. That LC575, by the way, never connected to the internet. It was just one of those things that I never did with it. Um, oh, the old classic. I've no, I've never had it connected. Uh, wait a minute, should I take that? No, I never had it connected to the internet. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I haven't even booted it in probably two years. It sits on my desk at work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I work in a Windows world, but then somebody will come into my cubicle there at, at work, you know, and I have a pretty good-sized cubicle, and they'll look over in the corner, and they'll go, what the? <laughs> <laughs> and they see that old Mac sitting there. I need to pull it out and power it up and boot it. The funny thing is it's... Um, I have to remember how to do it because it's been too long. The guy I that I, I didn't buy it new, I bought it used. But the guy that had it said when it boots up, it says "Bite me, bunny bitch." On it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I, I, I got to remember how to go in and change that. It's been too long since I fooled <laughs> with it, so I had to be careful. You know who's around when I start the thing up. It goes away. Yeah. But, but I have to be careful who's around when I start it up and they see that on the screen. That's funny. He's uh, He went, the, the guy I bought it from used to go to, uh, I don't know if you've probably ever heard, there's a university here in the United States called Drexel University. No, I haven't heard of it. He actually, he, he got it at the bookstore when he went there. Uh, and he actually had the keyboard and the, because since the classics, the all-in-one, little all-in-ones like the original Mac, mm-hmm. he had the cover and the cover for the Mac itself. That was uh, also Drexel University and had the uh, the stuff on it. So mm-hmm. it's got an ancient copy of Microsoft Word on it and uh, an ancient copy of Excel. What? You know what? When you go back, what what was that other alternative besides Word? It was wasn't it Microsoft Writes or something back in the the good old days of the nineties? Was it Write yeah. or something? PFS, like right? What was it? PFS Write. Or there was Apple Works. Apple, Apple Works was cool, actually. I liked Apple Works, but it wasn't Apple Works. There was PFS Write. No, uh, it wasn't that one. Uh, you know what? Apple Works was the very first time I actually got on the internet. Um, I think maybe that's incorrect. But an- anyway, you know how they had the communication tool, and you could uh, communicate to servers, and then drag down the um, sort of the. I, I want to say bulletin board um, kind BBF. of information. Yeah. yeah, I vaguely remember that. That was I was still dabbling in the Mac. I wasn't a full time user. Mm-hmm. So, and I so some of that stuff I was getting online with them, but I wasn't really doing much with them at that time. So I was still more on the uh, Windows. And plus, I didn't have broadband that I could use. Because the only way I got broadband back then was through uh, a cable card. There wasn't even a cable modem. It was an actual card that had to go into the my computer. And the cable TV coming out of the wall went straight into the computer. But then I, for the uploads, I had to use a phone modem to dial out. <laughs> and that was upload. And that's the, way they, that's the way the cable company sold it back then. So, you know, Incredible that was how it's changed. Yeah, so I think that's 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 all good information though that leads up to the main topic that you brought up that you wanted to talk about this week. Yeah, I, I want to talk about how we became geeks because I don't believe that we're born geeks. I believe that we're influenced and that 
through the interests we have and the people we associate with that we sort of become geeks, I, I guess. You know, and that, as we've spoken about before, geeks can be anything. You can be a geek about, you know, the cross stitch or knitting, you know. Um, Book. Sorry, reading. Reading. Book. Books. Absolutely. So, I mean, you, you can be a geek about anything that you love doing, but, you know, we're probably based more in technology than the average person is. And um, although I, I will say I can knit and I am quite good at it. Better man than I am. I, you know what? Surprisingly, the old ball of uh, of wool and you know a couple of you know needles going back and forth, and it's actually quite relaxing. I, I've never really made anything like a jumper or anything, but like you know, just sort of a, a patch wood, uh, a patch quilt kind of thing. Um, uh, so I learned to crochet at one point. I could crochet. You know what that is, right? I know what it is, Were but I've never done it. Yeah, I learned to do that. I never managed to make anything much wider than about, oh, I don't know, three or four inches and probably about three or four feet long. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a great accomplishment. And then uh, I, yeah, I never got any further than that. My wife is an avid cross-stitcher. Mm -hmm. I mean, she does it relentlessly. She'll have projects. We The house is covered with projects that she's made and framed mm -hmm. over the 20-some-odd years we've been together, so... Well, yeah, cross-stitching cross is is a way in my book of, like, doing a, a jigsaw puzzle. You know, yeah. kind, kind of thing. It's very similar because, you know, everything has to fit in perfectly. One thing's out of place and it's like, it looks ghastly now. We can't have that. But if everything's perfect, then it's nice and smooth. So, uh, yeah, so anyway, I, I thought, you know, let's just talk about how we started getting into the geekery, if you will. And... I was thinking back about my first experiences and, you know, as soon as I saw the Commodore 64, when, you know, I was at the school level, we had the Commodore 64s in each class and I just loved it. I, I actually, in fact, wrote my very first story that I can recall writing. It was uh, probably about three pages in length of, you know, text that was quite large, you know, uh, as kids you'd tend to put the text bigger, but it was about three, three and a half pages, and I can't even remember the story, all I know is it was fantastic, I loved it, the first time touching that keyboard, typing on the screen, and then being able to print it out, and we're talking about a dot matrix printer, you know, the one where the, the page comes out, and it's got the holes down the end, and it goes, zzz, 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 kind of, you know, really noisy mechanical yep. type printer, and um, I, I, you know what, Kevin, I miss peeling the little perforated uh, <laughs> holes off the side of the paper. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, I miss those days of, of like the basic Commodore sixty four. You know, I'd play things like I, I remember uh, the school had "Where in the World Is Carmen San, San Diego," which is you know a very popular game amongst school kids and and uh, you know education and so forth just because it teaches you about different areas of the world and stuff like that. And then, you know, there was a bunch of other games that were just awesome, but I remember that fondly, and I remember wanting so much, and, you know, my friends would have a Commodore 64, and I remember asking my mother if I could get a Commodore 64, and at the time, we weren't well off at all. We were quite poor, and they were around about 900 Australian dollars, I think, from memory, uh, and that was before you bought the little TV set to go with it. And we just couldn't afford it. So unfortunately, I missed out on, on that. But I got to live vicariously through friends and everything. And one friend I had growing up, uh, you know, he was 
big into computer games and Batman. And anyway, so we go across to his place on a Friday afternoon, and his house I never wanted to leave. It was like geek heaven. It was like every game system you could imagine, it was there. It's, it's what I try to do for my kids now kind of thing. And um, anyway, I had the Commodore 64 set up, and, and we're talking about old tape drives, where you'd have the application or the game on a tape, put it in, press play, and wait. And you know what? We complain now and we whinge and, and just go, why do we have to wait? We want something faster, 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 faster. Back then, we we took everything in our stride. We just waited. It, it's just something you did. It was like, this is just cool. Who cares if you've got to wait? I don't recall. <laughs> I know they remember that sound very well. Yeah. You know what? I, I don't recall being disappointed and having to wait. And what was interesting, so we'd, we'd started game, and I, I remember just a, you know, a couple vaguely that we had, uh, you know, just different platform games and stuff like that. And it would take so long to load that we'd be able to watch an episode of Batman, not the animated Batman, but the, the uh, television series. We'd be able to watch an episode of Batman on the TV that was connected to the Commodore 64, as the Commodore 64 was loading, we could watch Batman. When we'd switch it back across, we could play the game. It was just awesome. <laughs> so oh, wow. I, I just, I, I dig that time, you know. It was just absolutely great. And then, you know, as the years went on and he moved away from a Commodore 64, I still didn't have a computer. He updated and, and he had, um, you know, he had like a probably a 386 back then, maybe a 486, maybe not. I can't remember exact years and models and so forth. But he got the, the CD drive. And I remember Wing Commander, and that came on like five or six CDs, the entire game of Wing Commander. And it was just like a, a swapping nightmare. You know, you just had to swap it in and out. And um, it was just, it was funny to play. It was um, Diablo, Diablo 2 as well. They they all came back around that stage. So we're talking mid-90s, I suppose early 90s um, around that time. And um, just really good times. Again, we'd sit there and wait for five minutes until it loaded. And, you know, I, across on the other side was the old TV that used to run the Commodore 64 playing an episode of Batman. It was, you know... <laughs> My Fridays throughout school was just complete with that. It was absolutely perfect, absolutely amazing times. And, uh, you know, it, it was good to get my own gaming systems eventually, but it's also fun to play with friends. I think people think of gamers and gaming geeks as being solitary people and not socialising. But you can really have, if you get the right game, you can have a lot of fun with more than one person. Um, so, yeah, just... Awesome, awesome childhood memories that really pushed me towards computers, computer technology, gaming. In fact, it makes me want to go down to my local game store right now. Stop the show, pause the show. I'm off. Let's go and buy another game system. It, it, you know, it brings back that memory um, that, you know, I don't think of all the time, but it's certainly there and it's a driving force of why I'm passionate about technology. Just because it had great memories associated with it. So I thought I'd share that with you and everyone else. And that's just one, one moment. I do have other moments, Kevin. Uh, but I, I'll... You still have them. <laughs> I, I always will. <laughs> but I'll throw it across to you. What, what do you think got you started into geekery? 
Well, I guess my geekery actually goes back. It predates computers because there weren't home computers uh, available when my geekery started. Uh, Mike and I have talked a couple times when he's done the show with me about the you know some of the first computers, and I'll talk a little bit about that. My geekery goes all the way back. I would say I can't remember whether it was when I got my first cassette recorder or my first handheld calculator. One of the two, and then I was hooked into electronics at that point. I mean, I have other stuff I'm geeky about. You and I have talked. We're geeky about trains. We're 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 geeky about other stuff like that, um, uh, board games and things like that. But with electronics, it goes back to I can't remember which one it was. I want to say it was the calculator because I saved up money from mowing the yard, and I remember seeing a calculator go on sale. And it cost me probably a month and a half worth of money to buy this calculator. And this was an eight-digit calculator. It could add, subtract, multiply, and divide. That's it. Could not do another thing. But was I the cool kid on the block because I had my own quote-unquote pocket calculator. The thing was probably about twice the size of an iPhone and about the thickness of about four iPhones, iPhones mm-hmm. thick. Wow. Would blow, would blow through a set of batteries not very long at all. <laughs> hey, Kevin, did you, did you ever make rude words with the, uh, with the calculator and, and turn it upside down so that you could see, like, boobies? Yeah, we did that. We had, there was always the uh, – I learned all the math problems that you could do, and you said – Something, something, it would come up and say shell oil when you turned it upside down, <laughs> or uh, oh hell, or um, yeah, boobs, um, God, I can't remember, it's been eons since I did, but oh yeah, man, that was me, I was into it, this wasn't even a programmable calculator, folks, and I remember the brand was some weird brand I never heard of called, I think it was T-E-A-L, or T-A-E-L, it was some off-the-wall brand, and mine was cooler than some of the other friends I had. Mine had large green digits. No, I didn't have the red digits. I had green digits. I wanted green. I wanted to be different. <laughs> so, well, they were actually kind of a greenish blue, if I be if I'm in total honesty. And then I, you know, I have, I still have a thing with calculators. Anytime I see a cool calculator, I buy it. Do I need another calculator? No. <laughs> Fortunately, I've been able to channel that into calculator apps on iOS, so that helps a little bit. So I'm not accumulating physical calculators anymore. <laughs> I I at one time came very close to buying a cash register. Wow, because <laughs> it it was the ultimate calculator. You know, I couldn't come up with a good reason why I really needed it. You know, and at one point there was you know when some people would get depressed and they'd go out and they'd drink and stuff. Nope, Kevin, go buy a calculator. <laughs> I know I that had, feeling. I had like twenty calculators at one point in my life. Wow! You know, twenty or thirty, and it was really it was like it was as bad as I have with the thumb drives. You know, I have thumb drives <laughs> sitting all around now. Um, I have, I, I still buy calc, and I collect when I can find them in working condition and find good old ones. I will buy old HP calculators. I have a real thing for HP after I went to engineering school and learn to use RPN notation on a calculator. You know what that is. 
Right. I did like maybe 20 years ago, but I've completely forgotten. I'm not good with calculators, Kevin. Oh, RP. Well, see, they were being a civil engineer. They were my uh, bread and butter. RPN's yeah. reverse Polish notation, mm-hmm. named after a um, a Polish mathematician that developed the concept. And I, God, I can't remember his name, so please forgive me. But it's instead of entering two plus two equals, you do two enter two plus. And while on simple equations, it seems like it's the same amount of keystrokes on very complex equations. It's much less keystrokes to do than uh, the regular way to enter uh, a thing. And because I used RPN calculators for so long, and even to this day, I still have to stop and think when I use a regular calculator nowadays. Because, I mean, I used it for years and years and uh, in, when I was in college. and Not that I was in college years and years. I'm not that damn stupid. But... <laughs> Um, you know, when I was getting my degree and then even after that, when I was uh, doing engineering work, that was what I did. I used an RPN calculator. I still have my RPN calculator I used in college 20 some odd years ago. <laughs> still works. Batteries are dead. I need to get new batteries, but. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. See, I, I, um, let me, let me put it this way. I did something, uh, when I was supposed to be doing mathematics, I was playing calculator cricket. And, okay, cricket, for the U.S. Uh, listeners, it's a sport that us uh, Aussies and, and the Poms play and, and uh, you know, a few other countries around the world. Uh, we're better than the, the Poms, of course. Um, of course, I'm going to get hate mail now for that. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, it's calculated cricket. And I'm trying, I'm actually looking it up live so that I can see how to play so that I can tell you how to play it, but I can't remember how to play it. It was a, a matter of sort of pressing a couple of buttons and, and pressing the average button or something like that on the calculator. And then if you got a solid number, you got one run or something like that. If you got something less than a change, I honestly, I can't remember. All I remember is that every single maths lesson, I looked forward to playing calculator cricket, and I didn't do anything else. And as a result, I um, I nearly failed mathematics. To be quite honest, I just passed. I scraped through. Um, mathematics has never been a strong side, so that's something interesting too. Because if you think that geeks are driven by mathematics, a lot are. But there's a few like me that, that aren't, that just don't get the mathematics side of things. Whereas, you know what's funny, Kevin? I can get what? science. I can get biology, chemistry, physics. Perfect. I have no worries understanding the mathematics that is in science. But mathematics on its own? Ugh, I got no idea. Oh, no. See, I absolutely adored math. I actually tried to take math classes that were beyond my abilities as I went through school to push myself even harder. Mm-hmm. Normally where I, and I cut one time I had to drop back where I was barely passing one math class. As soon as I dropped back, which was still a kind of a higher level math for where I was in school, I went from barely passing up to straight A's. So, I mean, <laughs> I was always pushing myself. I got out while I was thinking of it. This is, this is the calculator I was talking about. This is an HP 11C. Mm-hmm. Buttons on it. Every button does three things. And then even on the back of it, it has some of the basic formulas that you would key in to do certain things. Mm-hmm. That's it's cool. a completely programmable 203 lines, I think, 
is what it'll take in. Yeah, 203 lines of code, and you can write games. And yes, I learned to write the games on this thing. <laughs> in here. So this, but this was this was my love calculator. But, but back to where we started, my calculators was my thing. My in high school, I was one of the first to get a calculator watch. I don't know if you remember those. It was actually had a little number. Mine was a Casio. I saved up. It was like half a week's pay because I was working at that time. It was it was my junior or senior year in college, uh, high school, and I saved up a half. I took a half of a week's pay because I was working and made a pretty good check, and had to sit home that weekend. Couldn't go out, and I bought a calculator watch. Yes, I was that geek, ladies and gentlemen. I wanted so. one of those so badly. I never got one. Now, I, I did find, um, just to, to swing us back to the calculator cricket, because I want to tell everyone so that when they should be working or, or learning that they actually can play cricket. So what you need to do is you keep pressing the random number button. If you get any number above 0.2, you take the first number after the decimal point and add it to your total. So you keep a running, running sort of, you know, uh, thin on a piece of paper. And then if you get below that, you're out. Since you get a limited number of batters in cricket, if you get 10 outs, you're done. Whoever has the highest total wins. And that, that's what we used to play in school. And So whoever I'd sit next to, we'd be playing calculator cricket all day. And, uh, and in fact, instead of writing it down, you can actually add it to the... You can just do an M plus and, um, and do it that way. And then just, uh, you know, whoever gets to like 100 first. You know, uh, if you want to do it that way. So that's another way of doing it that I just recalled. So, yeah, no wonder I failed mathematics. Well, I didn't fail it, but I, I barely passed it. I my my worst subject was I barely learnt to speak the English language. See, I I can I I, I speak two languages, Kevin, English and bad Geek. English. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, you, I, I write I write in proper English, but when I talk, it's generally bad English. I don't like um, I don't know. I, I like to write bigger words, and I like to talk. You like them biggest words, man. Yeah, yeah. You've been learnt some really fine ones. <laughs> I've got a few. Let's. Um, but, sorry, what were you about to say? A calculator and calculators. If we if we want to graduate on. The next thing I graduated up to was VCRs. Now, this was at a point in time when you didn't really have, you had very few even home VCRs. I was using reel-to-reel VCRs in high school. Wow. And I, because I was in, big surprise here, folks, I was in the AV club in school. <laughs> That was the equivalent of the chess club or anything else for geeks. I was in the AV club. And if I could find my high school yearbook, I would gladly give Mark the picture of me sitting there proudly with my other fellow students in the AV club as a freshman in high school. But I actually produced a television show that went out about once a month just in the school. It was closed mm -hmm. circuit. We had a switching system. We had these little teeny tiny uh, it was. It would take two camera inputs, if I remember right, and then the third one was what was going to tape. But this was we, we first did it on reel to reel videotape, and then we moved up to. They were huge video cassettes. They were like one inch thick. They were. You they matic. weren't like. 
Is that what they were called? Yeah, Big Umatic. Um, so, yeah, they, they would have been, yeah, definitely one inch thick, and they would have been, you know, sort of yay wide. And they, they were just, they were big. I mean, they were VHS times about three. If you put three VHSs together, it was about that size. Definitely Umatic. Yeah, that. but I was, uh, I, I did a television show. I assisted with it. I also assisted with the radio show. And the reason I did this was because I got to push the buttons and play with the electronic equipment. I couldn't have given a rat's, oh, hell, I'll say it, rat's ass about the content. I didn't care. I was just digging playing with the electronics. We had microphones. We had tapes. We had a tape splicer. We had to splice tape together. I lost part of a finger. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, I mean, we had to do all And that was just the most amazing thing in my life. So that that's where calculators, I graduated up to that. I mean, I actually, for a while, made a living in, or made some extra money. I shouldn't say a living. People would buy VCRs when they were starting to come down in the formal range. And nobody could remember how to set the damn clock or anything on them. <laughs> made money going into people's homes after they buy a VCR, hooking it up, plugging it in, setting it up, and showing them how to use it, and setting the clock. And every time the power blinked, I knew Kevin was going to make more money. (laughs) $10 if the power blinked in the neighborhood to go around and set the clocks on all the VCRs. (laughs) You know, that that used to be a big thing, a clock on a VCR. Uh, Even early DVD players, it was still a big thing. My DVD player now doesn't even have a clock. It's like, no no one cares about the clock functionality anymore. It's just, oh, it's funny. But, you know, I I was sort of the same as as you, not at at the school level or anything, but, you know, the the cassette decks and and the, um, you know, the VCR and that. And I'd, I'd make mixtapes for friends at school so i was the the dude with all the music and and made all the little mixtapes together and everything so i was popular doing that and you know what i even came up with my own fake record label (laughs) that's how sad i got uh i can't even remember what it was called now it was uh i've got no idea to be quite honest i'd love to remember it maybe i will by the end of the show by next week um so I, i used to do that and then um yeah, just VHS, you know, I really got into that and, you know, I, I used to be someone who would sit there and, and okay, I wanted Star Wars, I, I love Star Wars, so I'd be there with my, my little remote control watching it on the TV, and this was before video came out in the stores and you could buy a lot of movies, you know, back in the 80s, I'm not sure how it was in the US, but in Australia it was certainly slim pickings, you know, we didn't have a lot of of stuff like we do every single movie now is on dvd or on itunes easy to access easy to get back then it wasn't so you had to record it off tv but i didn't like having the ads in there so i would sit there and i would be like okay ready steady record okay but what i'd do is i'd actually hit record then pause quickly before the show would start then as soon as it would start i'd hit pause so they would keep recording then as the ad came on I'd be there, be there, ready, thumb on the trigger, going boom, <laughs> and hit it. And then I'd have to guesstimate when it was about to come back on so they could sort of keep recording. And I did that all the way through from the late 80s through to probably the mid-1990s with every show and every movie that I wanted. It was just, it was the way it was done back then. When I think about the amount of hours I, I spent there holding that remote, you know, 
bit yeah, of a wa- no, I- bit of a waste, but it was fun. Well, you know, I I won't exactly say why, but at one time I had two VCRs, and you could hook them together, and you know maybe something from one side <laughs> could go over to the other VCR. Yes, you could do that because they didn't have copy protection back then. Now, they did add copy protection to VHS in the uh, mid to late 90s, where if you tried to copy from one tape to another, it'd just basically go like if you had... If if I sent you a PAL uh, VHS and you tried to play it on an NTSC player, it would send the run signal. It basically did the same thin uh when you tried to copy it but that 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 used to be quite cool but the stupid thing well not the stupid thing but the 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 copy of the copy (laughs) looks horrendous you know what i mean and depending how many generations old it got vhs was one of these cool technologies but at the same time it had automatic drm in it because it kept getting worse the, you know, it, it, it kept degrading each time you would number one play it and then each time you would copy it. And, of course, a, a VHS tape would have roughly about uh, 200 plays in it before you started to lose colour and, and you'd see black and white segments. And then about 500 plays until the tape basically, you know, was just not really very good for anything at all. You know, And then it depended what quality tape you bought. If you got some cheapo tape... It wasn't going to last. If you've got something expensive, eh, it's going to last a bit longer. The the f- best part was, Kevin, was those... Um, they came out by the brand BASF, which uh, was renamed in the late 90s to MTech, and I'm pretty sure they're still MTech, E-M-T-E-C. And they were 300-minute VHS tapes. So you had your traditional 60 minutes your traditional 120, your 240, uh, 180's in there somewhere for three hours, and then 240, and then they came out with 300. Now, if you had a long play uh, VHS, you could take that five-hour videotape and record 10 hours of footage onto it. Now, the only problem with those five-hour videotapes, to put five hours of tape on the little VHS tape, and it's not little anymore, we look at it now and it's massive, but, you know, tape still took up space. And to put five hours on there, they had to make it incredibly thin. So what you'd have is... It didn't last. So, you know, if you recorded on it several times and and you paused and fast-forward and rewind, it could get stuck in machines and... It was a bit of a mess, but I used to I used to have them all displayed on my shelf, you know, and, and I'd have things like, you know, 10 hours of the X-Files, for instance, uh, you know, on, on each tape. And it was just, it was awesome. It was like, wow, I can get that much on a tape. It's, it's the same thing that when we went from CD and blank CD to DVD, and we could record more onto DVD, and you went, holy crap! Same thing with floppies to CDs. It's like... Before yeah. a, a blank CD, it was like, oh, wow, you know, this is um, kind of, nope. you know, the, the biggest thing. You skipped something in between floppies and CDs. Oh, the zip drives? Zip drives. Yes, oh, jeez. Weren't, weren't they clunkers? You, you, actually, I, was, I still have mine. <laughs> really? I, I actually works. had a, a couple of jazz drives, the ones that did the one gigabyte, and that was, you know... Um, that, that, that was back when I was a, a photographer and, and photography was just moving from the celluloid level into the digital arena. And, um, you know, that 
it still got filled quite quickly though. Um, but one funny thing with the blank suit is I remember being at school in year nine and asking my science teacher, because I was always very inquisitive. I was always the one in mathematics who would play cricket on his calculator, but I was always one in science who would put up his hand and say, uh, sir, uh, why is this or why is that and how does this and how does that? Because I wanted to know. And, uh, I, I, you know, we were talking about technologies and talking about CDs and so forth, and nothing came up about being able to write onto a CD, but you could write onto a floppy disk. And maybe I was naive, the internet wasn't there back in 1993 or whenever I was going through uh, that stage of schooling. And I said to the teacher, you know, is there something like a blank disk that you can record media from your own computer onto there? And the teacher was sort of gobsmacked and... Yes, there is. You know, I was surprised that, you know, a, a kid could think of something like that. And I have no idea where I came up with the idea. But you know what? If I, I, I should have patented that idea, Kevin, because, you know, I could have made some money. Anyway, <laughs> I tell you, the things that I have thought of in my head that I should have patented, that I never did... In all honesty and seriousness, uh, back in the late 2000s, I was working with one guy... And uh, we were both photographers and we were helping, we were working for a, a government corporation and one of our roles was to help people with presentations. So you talk about the AV club, I'd help with the setup of the projector and everything like that. And so many times we'd have people travelling overseas and just around the country and they'd need slides printed, they'd need overheads printed. So we'd have to do slides, overheads then they'd take their copy on their computer. But see, when they got to the other end, they weren't sure if they could plug their computer into anything or if they could even get internet. Yep. It was the really, really early days of, of commuting remotely. And, um, you know, we came up with this idea and we were laughed at when we came up with it by people who we respected and who we thought had a better grasp of technology than we would. We thought it would be a practical idea. And that was, how about you have a server or a cluster of servers where you could actually use it as a storage base and then people could log in, grab their files, so that if something happened to their computers, their slides and all that and, and the overhead, um, that they could actually just download it off the internet from this one server. So we're talking about the origins of Dropbox. We're talking about the origins of cloud computing back in the late 90s, and I'm sure many people were thinking of it, but it's just one of those interesting things that I look at now in retrospect, and we didn't go through with anything. It was just all in the thought process. And at the time, it was very expensive, bandwidth cost of fortune, storage cost even more. And, you know, we, we were just basically blown off because we were thinking too high pie in the sky. But the reason why I tell that is I want anyone who's listening to this show who has a good idea don't necessarily listen to anyone else. If you think it's a damn good idea, follow through with it. Because, okay, it may be the next big thing that the world has. But it may be nothing at all, but it may just make you happy. And it's always one of those regrets that I never did follow through on it. Would I have been, you know, running a Dropbox kind of system? Probably not. But you know what? The experience would have been cool. And uh, that's sort of what I miss out on a bit is uh, that I, yeah. I missed an opportunity there. So, yeah, don't... And, and geeks, I think, we take stuff to heart too, Kevin. We, we get offended a little bit 
easier because we get so passionate about what we love and what we enjoy. And when someone turns around and says, oh, that's stupid or that's dumb or that'll never work, we can sometimes, don't blow me kisses when I'm being serious, Kevin. <laughs> we, we, we can sometimes, um, you know, it, it, it just hurts. It hurts your soul and it hurts your self-esteem yeah. and so forth. Don't let it knock you down. You know, just say, right, that's your opinion. I appreciate your, your opinion. I've taken it on board, but I still believe this is a killer idea. That, that's right. Screw you. Screw it to the man. That's right. So uh, don't don't do what I did and, and get trapped in a situation where you just didn't give it a try. Well, you know, I heard somebody really recently say this, and, and it's very true. The way to succeed is not to be afraid to fail because you're going to fail. Then if, when you fail, you learn. And then you succeed. I can't remember who said that, and I apologize that I'm not giving credit for it, but I know I heard it somewhere recently, and I thought, you know, my God, that's true. I mean, you've got to be – you can't be afraid to fail. You've got to fail because when you fail, you're going to come out the other side better. So if you – if you know, the wannabe geeks or the new geeks out there that might be listening to us, yes, Mark is telling you the truth. Don't, Don't let anybody tell you you're wrong. Unless it's illegal, I mean, come on, let's let's act with a little bit of common sense here. But you know, carry through, follow through. Yeah, this idea might fail. The next idea might fail. Ten more ideas might fail. But if that one idea takes off, you could be somebody like uh, Bill Gates or uh, Steve Jobs or Steve Wozniak. You know, you make your own future. So that's that's something you've got to take to heart. I mean, you really. I, you really do because, you know, I mean, it's just like, um, who was it the other day? I'm trying to think. Uh, somebody was talking. To, oh, uh, no, when I was trying to think of Zuckerberg, but I don't think that was it. Somebody was talking about how many things they had done that had failed until they finally hit the one that succeeded. And I was like, yep, that's what it is. You learn from every failure and you move on. Mm-hmm. And every failure will make you better, stronger, and smarter. So. Yeah, it's 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 the honest to God truth, and we are a little more attached to our things as geeks. That's why we're geeks because we get attached to things, just like people that are geeks about Pez dispensers. You know, they're attached to their Pez dispensers and the quest for that next Pez dispenser or trains. We, you and I, are both nuts about model trains. It's that next train. You got this one. But that's the next one. It's the comic book. It's the quest for the, you know, it, it's first the issue. Journey, really, isn't it? Yes, that's you're exactly. Because exactly once, once you get it, it's cool, but it's also anticlimactic because it's like you've achieved it, and it's like, oh, I want to go back to the journey, and that's why we keep going and we keep collecting more stuff because we love the chase. We love trying to find it. We love trying to source it. It's fantastic. But then when you get it, it's like, yeah, I've got it now. Next item on the list is what you get to. I mean, yeah, it's it's really that way. So, I mean, you know, don't embrace your inner geek. Don't let people tell you you're wrong. Keep your passion. Your passion will get you through some of the worst times. And keep and keep going. Keep plotting forward. There you can never go wrong going forward. You only go wrong when you go backwards. I mean, you might have to back up, but keep. But then you got to turn around and go forward again. So a little phil, 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 bleh, 
philosophical. See, see, Kevin, that's why I speak bad English and write good English because I I hate getting stuck on a word that uh, I can't pronounce correctly. You write double plus good. Do you know where that comes from? I've heard it before, but no. George Orwell's 1984. Ah, yep. You're right. That's where they were trying to condense the language down and make less words for people. So, but I, you know, those are, I, we, we've talked, I, those are the origins of my geekiness. That's where I start. Cause I predate you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that Mike is similar to me in certain ways because Mike and I are about the same age, a uh, few months difference in our age, not too much. So he and I have similar timelines and the stuff that we encountered. He grew up in a different area of the country, but similar timelines. But, you know, I'd like to hear from some of our listeners, even he who shall remain nameless. You know, some of I our good friends. His feedback again. <laughs> yeah, I've given up on ever hearing the feedback. <laughs> um, I'd like to hear from some of our listeners what started them on their geekiness path. I mean, you know. What what got you started into being a geek? I mean, we all started somewhere. I've told you where I started with mine. Mark's told you how he got started in his, and you know we've progressed and progressed. The only bad part about I think our addiction, you could say it that way, is the amount of money it costs. Because <laughs> mm. anybody that's a geek, that's a collector of sorts, um, they you end up sinking a lot of besides heart and emotion into things. You end up sinking a fair amount of money into these things too when you become a geek. I mean, I was a I'm a stamp collector, US stamp collector. I haven't worked on it much for years. But man, the amount of money I put into completing certain parts of my collection. And you want to talk about geekiness. I took I mean, US you, you people collect stamps. Then they might collect used stamps or unused stamps, mint versus used. They might specialize in a country. And are they? And it might do that. I specialized all the way down to the point in a sub collection of my main collection, is I collected. I didn't know it until I got started. Postage due stamps made by the United States Postal Service. Wow. I I have a complete collection. They're not all mint. They're some of them are used. I think I have a complete collection back to the first ones they issued. I'm only. I might be missing one or two, but I have all the denominations and. God, that cost me a fortune because in later years, some of those postage due stamps came in denominations of ten and twenty and fifty dollars for one freaking little stamp. <laughs> so I mean, and I went and bought them new, so I would have them, and that was this was in the seventies when I was doing this avidly. So I mean, you can get really geeky about those sort of things. So it, it does; it ends up costing us a lot of money to be geeks. We can't help it. And the other thing is, you'll think think about the collections that you may have as a geek, like baseball cards or comic books. I know are a good one, and I can equate this to something I did with my stamp collection back in the day. You have the method for organization. Or you've got your whole collection, and you've organized this starting based when you started the collection. But as a collector, and I bet you can attest this, how many times did you complete the collection and realize the organization method you had all wrong inappropriate your storage containers whatever they might be boxes bags i don't give a crap you rip all that out you get rid of it your actual collection doesn't really change but the cataloging the storage the display the 
the whatever you want to call it is all that. And then when you mix in people like you and I who had computers, then we want to make a database or something on the computer. I mean, first it was a list in a word processor, and then then you're making a spreadsheet, then you're making a database. It's it's the geekiness in us that makes us do these things that really have no value or value that's sellable, but it's the value of the pleasure it brings us as geeks. Yeah. And you know what? When when you mentioned databases and so forth, I'm like, yeah, FileMaker and me are friends. And, uh, you know, I, I would actually catalog my CDs uh, into a FileMaker database and I, I do the same with movies as well and and you know i'd have it you know based on director producer you know actors and everything and when i think about it now it's completely pointless absolutely pointless but it's the love of you know getting that stuff off the shelf and enjoying it it's one further way to enjoy it and to embrace the the geek uh in us all so uh Yes, we've all done some interesting things. And even before I had FileMaker, I would actually have... I actually got a, a book that was like a database for a CD collection. So you could, you know, write down what each CD was and everything like that, and then flip through the book. And um, I, I did that as well, so... Uh... Oh, I, I had index cards. I had a little card, the little 3 by 5 index card boxes where I had all the information about the stamps that I was collecting, where I got it, how much I paid for it, the grade of the stamp, and all this stuff. I had all this stuff I flipped through. Then I had it cross-referenced to, I want to say it's called the Scott's Guide for Value of U.S. Stamps or something like that. It's been a while now since I fooled around, so I can't remember the name. But I had all this, and I had this little card file I could flip through. You know, I had it all sorted by year. Well, I got to the point I didn't like the year, so then I, <laughs> then I broke, then I did years with categories and all of this. And it was just, I mean, I had stacks and stacks of these index cards, and then I had the albums that had all my stamps in it. It was like, holy shit, what? The- <laughs> there must have been a two or three worth trees worth of dead crap in my <laughs> paper and that stuff to do it. But hey, Kevin, yeah. you, you know what makes it really hard, and I find this even now in in like my iTunes library. You've got an artist. So depending which way you want to sort your database, you might have to change this because if you have, say, a, you know, a classical album, for instance, you're going to have different artists come up in, in the artist tab. So you can't view them by artist. You can't follow them by artist. They've got to be by album or composer. And then if there's different composers, oh, boy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> The fun is trying to work out how nothing duplicates and how nothing gets divided, too. Well, you, you know how you can solve that. Have a music collection like mine with 230 songs in it. <laughs> then you go from track one to track 230. Very easy. I can sort it 500 different ways, and it really doesn't feel more than a screen and a half. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel so sorry for iTunes on your system. Uh, well, we've been through that multiple times. We won't belabor that. I mean, everybody loves their thing. I mean, you're a geek about music. We've talked about that. You now have, you and Sam now have a whole separate show. Track because, Talk Podcast. Yes. And I encourage the listeners to go out, listen to it, download it. Uh, you, know, you all have that passion. You have that geekery about that. 
You know, I mean, it's 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 the thrill of the hunt, it's the acquisition, and all that. And then, you know, at some point in your life, a lot of people will part with their geek collections of one way or another too. I mean, you'll move past things, and then nine out of ten times, ten, fifteen, twenty years later, you go. Oh, damn, why did I get rid of that? And then you'll start the collection all over again. And you know what? The thrill will be even better the second time than it was the first. Yes. I'm I'm doing that with CDs right now, Kevin. Uh, you know, and not only because of the podcast, but the, the podcast is, you know, kind of encouraging that. But I was doing that before anyway. A few months ago, I decided, you know what? I used to love collecting and holding these CDs, looking at the notes that were there, looking at the discs and the design that was there, and it just isn't the same in iTunes. And uh, when I made the decision to go back, boy, I have been spending money and I have been buying up big, and every single album has a story. And you know what's funny? I'm getting the albums that I used to get before, and I remember the story of how I got the previous versions that I got rid of, but now I'm, I'm rebuying them again. So I've got multiple stories to tell. And I'm, you know what? I'm sure I bore people at times, especially my family with the different stories and everything, but that's just, it's part of that geek lifestyle. Let's see how much of a geek you are. Do you know what that is? <laughs> You've got an LP there of the Partridge family. Oh my God. Partridge Family and Magazine LP. Kevin? Sound Magazine. Kevin, have you been listening to Track Talk? We need to get you up to date. It's a sound magazine. Wow, that's 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 cool. That's the name of the album. The Partridge Family Sound Magazine was the name of the album. Starring Shirley Jones and David Cassidy. And uh, has some of their hits. Uh, I Woke Up in Love This Morning. Echo Valley 26809. Uh, what else is on here? Crap, it's fading out a little bit. I've got two LPs <laughs> at my desk. I've got a Kenny Rogers LP. Kenny's the not gambler. Bad. Yeah. I'll, but I have a tote, a plastic tote full of 33 and a third LPs. I have a smaller tote full of. 45 RPM records. So, yes, I understand that I have not parted with this stuff to save me, and I don't know why I haven't parted with it. You know, you know that Partridge Family one would probably be worth a bit of money to a collector of the Partridge Family because that would not be available on CD. It would not be available on iTunes either. Well, actually, I have the other two albums that are advertised here on the back of it. Uh, the Partridge Family album, it's called the first album, and I think I have this, I have one other one, I don't know if it's the second one or not, um, I had another one that was called Shopping Bag or something like that, was one of their albums. Yeah, it says, here it is, the all new 1972 Partridge Family, all new 1972, so hey, I mean, Ke- Ke- Kevin, I wasn't even born in 1972. Bite me. The, um... <laughs> <laughs> now look, in, in all honesty, you, you know what? The grass is always greener on the other side because as I age, I'm reflecting more I, I and having kids too. And I look at what the kids have now. They don't understand what we went through in technology to get the iPad. 
They just want the iPad and an app on there and they expect it to work immediately and they don't want to wait for it to download. And they've got no idea that I used to have to press play on a tape deck to play a game and it would take 20 minutes to load. Um, And, you know, it's the same thing. You grew up and lived through, you know, the years that I've just gone through and and a younger stage where, say, LP was the, the premium source of music. And I look at that and as a music lover... I miss that. I, I've missed out completely on that, and it kind of sucks. I, I would like to have seen that point in time. I, but, of course, the grass is greener because, you know, unless I drop dead tomorrow, I'll likely see a little bit longer than you of, of what happens in the world. Don't, don't, don't get sad on me, Kevin. <laughs> but you, you've, seen more than, you, you've seen more than me anyway, just in a, a different era. But isn't it interesting how we always want more than what we've got? I want what you've had and what I didn't experience. And you want what I'm going to experience and you're not going to see. And same with me. I look at my kids growing up and it's like, damn it, you're going to outlive me. You're going to see cooler stuff. And that gets me jealous and angry and... It, it fires up the geek in me, Kevin. Well, Gretel and I have something worked out. You're not going to outlive me. Ah. Was, 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 was that that little message that you uh, have been keeping from me that she's been putting something in my morning coffee? Not that I drink coffee anymore, but that sounds good. I would just advise you to sleep with your eyes open. Not only to worry about the huntsman spiders. Wonderful. <laughs> no, I, I, I fully understand. I mean, you know, I think back to my parents, what they, some of what they went through. Well, of course, my mother grew up partially during the Great Depression. So, I mean, I don't know that I really wanted to see that. But, mm. you know, there, there are certain things about I would I thought it would have thought it'd been cool to be a kid in the 50s and, the you know, be a little kid in the 50s with all the cool stuff, the the cowboy stuff and the spaceman stuff and all mm-hmm. that. But, uh, you know, we all think that way. I was a child of the late sixties and seventies. And what I remember of the seventies before I got to high school, you know, it got a little fuzzy after that, <laughs> you know, but I made it through the eighties and I love the fact now on, uh, there's a show I watch called two broke girls on CBS and they talk about the, uh, Wow, you know, the hipsters, they're so into that retro 90s stuff. And I'm going, oh, shit. 90s <laughs> retro. <laughs> I, look, that makes me feel old because the 90s was my decade. That was when I was a teenager. So it's like, yeah, okay, that, come on. I know I'm aging, but retro? Oh, I don't know about retro. Although I suppose we did still have the good old cassette boombox that, you know, you could throw on the shoulder. And, and, and I remember the double cassette decks. They were they were a classic. They were good. So yeah, we had uh, I had I only ever had one because I only had an eight track player in one card. But I did have an eight track tape. I remember yeah, nice. when eight track was really popular too. Mm-hmm. But I never eight track players were the high end of things. So yeah, I pretty much had to stay with uh, LPs and forty um, fives. Uh, I used to buy a couple forty fives every month. Little store in the town I grew up with. You know, it was a, a sold about everything except clothing at the store. And I can remember going down there after I'd save up a little bit of money and buy some real classics of, of, of American music like uh, C.W. McCall's great hit Convoy, you know, and uh, 
Fox on the Run. Who made that oh, song? That's, oh, wasn't the Eagles, was it? No. I've still got the 45. I could go look. You know what? I, <laughs> and I know Mike, if he's listening, he, he'd know that one as well. And, Damn, uh, I can't remember. But yeah, great song. You know, I've, and I've got a lot of Partridge Family 45s. I've got some Bobby Goldsboro. Um, uh, what was the guy that sang uh, uh, Indiana Wants Me? Uh, what was his name? Uh, you know, but I got all that kind of stuff. I've got all those old 45s and stuff like that. I still have my cassette tapes because our stereo still has a cassette player in it. Oh, that's so, awesome. Do you know my, my beautiful Technics Hi-Fi? The internals rusted on the tape decks. And it's just, you know, I, I got rid of my tapes years ago and now looking back and wanting to collect again. I, you know, you don't when you don't have the tapes to play it, you think, oh, I won't bother working on it and keeping it clean and keeping the maintenance up and... And so forth, and it just they they rusted, Kevin, and it is depressing. It I can get it fixed, but it's not the same. It's not the same heads that brought me all that joy many years ago. No, I still our cassette deck still works. I mean, it's perfectly fine because it was at the time when CDs were becoming popular. So it's cassette and CD. It had both in it, and I had. Still got them upstairs. We're just now talking about getting rid of some of the cassettes. We had like shitloads of cassettes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's probably I don't know three, four hundred cassettes up there. Wow, all kind. Of, you know, I bought those box anthologies of different things. Uh, Patsy Cline being one of my favorite country artists of all time, not to mention a local person from here in my mm-hmm. town. So I have a box set of her greatest hits. Uh, and, you know, I have all kinds of that stuff, shit that I don't need piling around. But again. That's what made me the geek. That's what made us the geeks we are. We got passionate. We pursued our passion to a degree which some people would almost consider slightly unhealthy in ways. But the amount of joy and pleasure that it brought us as geeks, nothing else can compare to that at that point in time in our lives. So. Isn't that true? And on that note, we'll close out Geeky Show Over, episode 100. I don't know about the listeners, Kevin, but boy, I've had fun going down memory lane. We have to do memory lane more often. It's just, it's fun, it's exciting. The passion you can tell is coming from both of us, you know, and everything that we're going through. So we love doing the, no, 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 not that type of passion, Kevin. I am not kissing my camera to... (laughs) Anyway, let's close out the episode. Kevin, where can the listeners find you kissing your computer? Not me, your computer. (laughs) Uh, We joke, we kid, we love, we have fun. Uh, You can always find me over on Twitter.com at Twitter.com forward slash B-I-G underscore I-N underscore V-A. I'm hanging out on Google Plus and some of the various communities. Uh, NAMP being one of those communities that I hang out in, the NoSillaCast community, the MyMac community, there's various ones I'm out there, so go over and look me up. I'm there as plus, just Google plus forward slash Kevin Alder. Fantastic. And for anything relating to me or everything I do, simply head across to markgrowntree.com. Well, thank you for listening and subscribing. Until episode 101, take care. And be especially sure between now and next week to go hug a geek.
Lisa Pacelli, Suze Gilbert, Vicky Stokes, Women, Savvy, Geeks, Three Geeky Ladies, Technology from a Female Perspective.